the blast from our past network. Hello and welcome to the Blast from Our Past podcast, where the podcast that gives you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, and a whole lot more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. I'm Adam. I'm John. And today, we are it's uh, Shark Week on the Blast from Our Past podcast, <laughs> and we are going to be talking all things uh, deep and uh, scary under the water. That's right. We are talking the 1975 classic Jaws. And then we're going to kind of go a little bit different, but also not too far different, uh, with the mid-70s cartoon Jabberjaw, if anybody remembers that one. Yeah, you know what? I like uh, Sharks and Jaws is one of the, those amazing classics we just we had to get to, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of, we're starting summer even, um, you know, it's right around summertime, and this is a classic, if not the first summer blockbuster. It's kind of what yep. it's known as. Exactly. All right, John. Well, we are going back to the 70s. Uh, let everybody know, how can they set their mind back to 1975? So the film was released on June 20th, 1975. The Billboard Top 100 single for that week was Sister Golden Hair by America. I know that song. That's a good one. That's a good song. Topping the Nielsen ratings for this week specifically was a TV movie called A Girl Named Sooner. Um, I looked it up. No one big in that film. And it kind, of, it kind of reminded me a little bit of the plot to the movie Nell. Uh, except oh. for except for in this case. Pay the girl, in the wind. Yeah. Pay in the wind. Except for in this case, the girl was not, um, <laughs> you know, isolated by language or whatever. It's just, just, uh-huh. just a normal girl. Um, but I did see that MASH was the, the number one on the week before and the week after, which was no surprise for 75. Okay. Uh, that week, Taito released the game Western Gun, which was the first video game to depict human-to-human con- uh, combat. Excuse me. Human-to-human oh. combat. Um, okay, that's cool. Yep. A, the New York Times bestseller was a book called Mo- The Money Changers by Arthur Haley. No, no nothing on that. And my fun fact for 1974. So, Adam, you know I'm a big Trekkie. I do. Uh, the character Jordy LaForge from Star Trek Next Generation was actually named after a man named George LaForge, a quadriplegic Trek fan who passed away in 1975. Oh, wow. Okay. That's so, a nice little homage to him. Yeah, probably someone who had gone to a lot of the... Because there were a lot of conventions in the 70s mm-hmm. for the original Trek and uh, stuff like that, so... I'm sure that man probably made it a, a, a impact on mm-hmm. Roddenberry, and uh, honestly, I found that to be kind of sweet. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a, that's a really nice nice way to to memorialize him. Yeah, and that was 1975. All right. Well, thank you for that trip down memory lane, John. And now let's take a bite out of Jaws. Jaws 1975, directed by Steven Spielberg, who we actually just talked about in our last movie episode. Uh, <laughs> look, you know, it's Spielberg summer. You know, they have hot girl summer. Now we're having hot Spielberg summer, I guess, for us. Well, you know, I mean, he did create a, a lot of the big you know, movies of our childhood. So I, I, there's no way to escape it. 
Yeah, exactly. You got to talk about him. So, you know, all the stuff he talked about that he's done. Uh, it is based on a 1974 novel by Peter Benchley. Uh, he had also written some other kind of like ocean and, and, and kind of shark centric ones called The Deep, The Island, Beast and White Shark. Uh, all of those. And he did some other ones, but the ones I mentioned right there were all adapted into either films or uh, miniseries. OK, as well. So. Uh, and he did also write the screenplay alongside Carl Gottlieb. Uh, Carl Gottlieb w- wrote The Jerk. He re- did some writing for Smothers Brothers and also uh, Jaws 2 and 3. Okay. So music by the amazing John Williams. Got to mention that. I mean, if you can't just automatically sing sing the, the theme to Jaws, you know, without mm-hmm. any, any prompt, then, you know, what are we doing here? And... Spielberg kind of apparently mentioned he thought it was almost too simple of right. music, but obviously that he's I think he's changed his mind since then because that it <laughs> stood the test of time. I mean, in the end, you, you got to trust uh, you got to trust John Williams. He definitely knows what he's doing. Yeah, absolutely. And I do want to mention uh, cinematography was done by Bill Butler, uh, and he had also shot Grease, Rockies two, three, and four, Anaconda, Sniper. We talked about him back with Sniper. Um, bunch of stuff, uh, and apparently died in April of this year at the age of 101. Wow, hell of a life. Hell of a life. All right, let's talk the cast of Jaws. Uh, Brody is played by Roy Scheider. Uh, he was in French Connection, all that jazz, and we talked about him when we discussed Sequest. Yeah. Quint is played by Robert Shaw. He was in The Sting, Man for All Seasons. He was actually also in the movie The Deep, which is also written by Peter Benchley. Okay. As well. Hooper was by Richard Dreyfus, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which is another Spielberg. Uh, he's on Mr. Holland's Opus, Stand By Me. We talked about him not too long mm-hmm. ago with that one. Ellen Brody, who is the wife of uh, Roy Scheider's Brody character, is played by Lorraine Gary. And she was in Jaws 2 and Jaws the Revenge <laughs> and uh, 1941, which is a John Belushi kind of huh. comedy. Uh, Mayor Vaughn. Uh, played by Murray Hamilton. He was also in Jaws 2. He was in The Graduate. Uh, he played Mr. Robinson, the guy that Mrs. Robinson uh, cheats on with Dustin <laughs> Hoffman's character. Uh, and he was also in 1941, uh, John Belushi kind of war farce. Okay. And then uh, then Mrs. Kintner, and I'm calling her out because we are going to cast her. Uh, mm-hmm. Specifically, those are all the different people we'll be casting. Uh, and she makes a pretty big impact in for a very small role in the movie. Uh, played by Lee Fierro. Uh, she literally was only in... This movie, this Jaws, Jaws the Revenge, uh, and then one other movie in 2016. And that's it. Like three three credits. I believe, if I remember correctly, I've seen I've seen so many behind the scenes things about Jaws. It's one of the most looked at films. So mm-hmm. um I believe she was a local where they okay. were shooting. I don't think uh I don't think she was necessarily a professional actress, or maybe she was like a local professional actress, like a theater actress or something like that. But I'm I'm positive uh, that she was a local because I do remember actually seeing a special where the kid the person who played her son, yeah, Alex like, Kidner, who get, gets eaten, um, yeah. had a, had a reunion at like a diner that she was working at oh, in okay. in the town where they shot the film. Okay, so. that's cool. That's cool. Well, yeah, wasn't it? It was like shot. Was it shot in Martha's Vineyard? Is, am I making that up? I feel uh, like it goes I mean, around there. I mean, clearly the the town of Amity is modeled after Martha's Vineyard. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Um, so, yeah. I don't know. You can keep talking, and I'll look up the locations. Yeah. All right. So uh, this film had a budget of nine million dollars, and it's currently got a 
bo- a worldwide box office of four hundred and seventy six point five million dollars. So uh, it's made its money and then some. Um, I do think there was a couple re-releases into the theaters that probably have inflated the the budget a li- or the box office a little bit. But in general, this was a huge success. At the time, it was the highest grossing film of all time until a couple years later when Star Wars came in. Yeah. Uh, And yes, it was the vast majority of the film was uh, filmed at Martha's Vineyard, uh, with the exception of uh, some of the uh, live shark uh, stuff, which was actually done in Australia. Okay. Okay. Uh, near the near the, one of the, not the Great Barrier Reef, but during actually a place called Dangerous Reef. Literally, it's called okay. Dangerous Reef. <laughs> and all of Australia is dangerous. Like the yeah. whole the whole the whole to kill you. the whole area. area everything yeah. there is trying to kill you. Yes. All right. So this is a classic film. Um, it's known as one of the hundred greatest movies of all time. It's it's also known as like the first blockbuster, it or the first summer blockbuster. I mean, and and the film is credited with. Uh, actually reducing beach attendance in 1975 and it also kind of started a massive fear of sharks that like tons of populations of, of people began really misunderstanding sharks and hating on sharks and then also to the decimation of shark population because of over shark fishing um but because this movie they got so hated that it became very accepted to just kill them uh, and i've read that spielberg and even and peter benchley the writer have both kind of Felt bad for that situation, but, you know, as it goes. And I got to amend the thing I said about the uh, Mrs. Kittner and Alex Kittner, because uh, mm-hmm. I actually just see the thing right here in front of me. I actually got that reversed. Uh, Lee Fiero walked into a restaurant, and the restaurant was owned by the kid who played <laughs> Alex. So I, I remembered it. I just I okay. flipped it in my head. Yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, all right. So, yeah. So this movie affected a lot of different people. It was just, a, you know, it was huge. Um, it also spawned a, a couple shittier sequels, <laughs> three <laughs> shitty sequels, <laughs> uh, but also theme park rides and other th- ripoff movies to the point mm-hmm. where, you know, like taglines for movies or at least like pitch lines. Mm-hmm. Literally, you can say Jaws, but on land. That's Tremors. Jaws, but with a snake. Well, that's fucking on a ca- anaconda uh, like jaws <laughs> but or jaws with or something slight different right. it, it's an entire <laughs> almost film genre now yeah so uh this movie won three oscars uh, which were best film editing best original dramatic score and best sound and it was also nominated for best picture but it lost to one flew over the cuckoo's nest uh which is a phenomenal movie for sure yeah so uh all right and so I mean, what do you remember, or what are your nostalgic aspects about Jaws to you? You know, I was thinking about it, and I I cannot remember the first time I saw Jaws. I, I don't. It's just always. It's one of those movies that's always been there. But I remember having seen it several times when when we were kids, probably on TV. Like I, I don't. I remember I, TNT having I, it on. I was gonna say time. I don't remember us actually having this either. Re, or either recorded or actually the tape. I think it was just one that was on often, and we would watch it because it was on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. you didn't need to because it was it was on pretty darn often. I feel like even in, and in summer, probably like bringing it back up, you know, on TV on summer. So, yeah. absolutely. I mean, it's it's and for me, and I'll talk about certain parts as well. I mean, obviously, nostalgia factor because Jaws was always there. It's just known as just one of this this amazing film. And also as a, you know, I went to film school and mm-hmm. this is one of those movies that 
everybody like dissects everybody you know you want to look at you want to study because it does some very interesting things and so you got to talk about it when i uh taught high school i had to teach a couple semesters of like film studies sort of it was like a pseudo film Mm -hmm. basically it was just a place to dump kids who had an extra semester (laughs) shut up and watch movie kids (laughs) i mean that which was fine most of the kids were like oh sweet you know this was pretty easy like and i had a pretty easy schedule like monday we talked about whatever the theme for the week was tuesday wednesday thursday was usually watching the film because it took us that long to actually finish the film usually and then friday they had to do like some sort of write-up prompt it was it was fairly simple but i used this film uh specifically when we talked um soundtracks okay it makes sense yeah uh, well, yeah, this one obviously permeated uh, pop culture and still does say everybody knows it, it seems, everyone's seen it. But will it stand up to a now 37 and 42-year-old uh, Adam and John? Let's start off our scene-by-scene breakdown, and we begin uh, in the water immediately with that now iconic music. We see some teenagers are on the beach. They're hanging out. Uh, You know, they're just kind of partying. Some girl, Chrissy, goes skinny dipping while this drunk guy is almost joining her, but he's too drunk and he kind of passes out on the beach. While she's out in the water, something comes from beneath and that thing bites her and then it thrashes her around until it finally eventually pulls her under and it kills her. And I believe I'm going kind of off of memory here for some of this stuff, but uh I believe like there was a machine under the water that, that she was kind of hooked up to that actually pushed her back and forth. And apparently it was pretty rough, like actually physically rough on her. So, yeah, there's there was a rumor. I looked into this as well okay. um, because th- the, the rumor that had gone around was that it had broken like her hip or her ribs or something like that. Right. But apparently that's not the case. Okay. That, that she didn't actually break anything. She was just that good of an actress. <laughs> Is she, I guess she was like, well, she's also that good of an actress because Spielberg didn't warn her when he was going to attack her under like the water oh, when okay. she was going to get pulled and kind of like moved about and whatnot. So she would be more genuinely like surprised right. and frightened. So, okay. But yeah, apparently to debunk it from what I've seen and from what others have, even she has mentioned uh, from what I saw anyway, that uh, the ribs and hip breaking didn't actually happen. Okay. All right, the next day we meet Police Chief Brody and his family. Uh, he gets a call about the girl's death, and so he heads into work. And he talks to this guy, the, the guy who was drunk before with her, um, and you know, then they find the girl's body. Well, at least they find parts of the body with crabs all over it. Uh, at Brody's office, we see him uh, mark the cause of death as a shark attack, because that's kind of what he's going after, what he's been told by the doctor, and what it obviously seems to be. So he's going to close the beaches and he's going to try to get these signs out. But it's also summer beach season and the mayor and his kind of lackeys, they're not going to have that because the businesses there, they rely on summer beach season and it's going to ruin things. And he's rushing into things. And so like it probably wasn't a shark, you know, maybe it was just a boat accident or something. And we don't want to cause a panic. One of those lackeys, uh, we see him a good little bit actually in the movie. He's credited as Meadows, uh, but he's kind of one of the mayor's lackeys. He's actually played by Carl Gottlieb, who is the screenwriter. Okay. In the movie. So uh, on the beach, we see people out there. You know, Brody doesn't, obviously, Brody didn't close the uh, beaches based on the mayor's uh, reactions. And so he's watching intently and he's just eyeing the beach. You know, he's out there with his family and his kids. And there's a dog chasing sticks in the water. Uh, you know, this 
boy uh, in an inflatable raft. There's this larger woman. And then all these bunch of kids kind of get in and splashing about and whatnot. And then kind of ominously, we hear the owner of the dog calling the name of the dog. And they're just calling it. It's like, where's where the hell's the dog go? Huh? How did it miss that? And then we get that underwater POV shot uh, again. And I'm going to start here and kind of mention a little bit about this. This is one of the things that people analyze from the movie mm-hmm. is this very famous POV shot. Which POV stands for point of view. It's basically like you're looking through the eyes of the shark in mm-hmm. this part where you're kind of flying. You're going up through the water um, and fairly famously Spielberg wasn't happy with the look of the mechanical shark. Uh, so he instead utilized the POV shot here to kind of see underwater, to kind of see what the shark was doing and what it was looking at. Um, and we've seen this used ever since. We've seen this used in a numerous... I mean, I can think, obviously, Tremors did use it as well. We saw those mm-hmm. underground shots. Uh, uh, Neverending Story used it with Gamork right. to pretty darn good effect as well. Uh, and so it's an interesting thing because on top of you're kind of still getting the visual of this villainous shark going through the water. You're also seeing it as if you were the shark in the audience. And it kind of gives you even almost an unsettling feel of like in the mind of a killer, if you will. And also it, uh, it helped uh, to me, it helps to add a lot of tension to not see the thing you're scared of. Yes. um, Until later. I think that creates great effect. It does. It absolutely does. I mean, I'll call out the moment exactly when we first see the shark, and it's sure. even just kind of like a little snippet of it when we do see it. But you're right, because the things that humans fear so much are not, it's not the known, it's the unknown. And so not seeing this thing, it makes it even more ominous to us, because yeah. we don't know exactly what it looks like. We don't know exactly how big it is. We just know it's scary as shit, and it's killing people. Mm-hmm. And right here... It kills this boy, and a fucking geyser of blood shoots up. <laughs> it's this, pretty gruesome. Yeah. I kind of forgot just how bloody it was. It's a PG movie. Right. And so, yeah, this, uh, the blood shoots up, and he gets dead, and we get that famous. Another shot I got to call out is the famous called the Jaws shot. You say the Jaws shot, no, everyone knows exactly what you're talking about. So what it is, it's, it's a dolly zoom, basically. So you are you have your... A camera on a track on a dolly and so you're having grips push you farther away from the character but you are zooming in at the same time so that way um, if done kind of like this way the character stays mostly similar the same size right but uh, how it how the camera and how the lens uh, affects the background behind you is what's get adjusted so it's like the background gets warped farther away from Brody in this mm-hmm. shot, and yet he stays relatively close to the same size. It's a very cool, interesting shot. And so I have a technical question for you about the shot. Does the rate of pull and the rate of zoom have to be similar for it to be effective? Uh, I would say, yeah. I mean, this one you can tell they do zoom in a little bit more than they dolly, and so because he gets a little he, bit bigger. I was going to say, he does, he does get a little bit bigger in frame. Yeah. But but to be like the the I would say if you're trying to hit it perfectly, you're going to try to match like that same kind of speed, if you will. Okay. So uh, mass hysteria, obviously, um, <laughs> and the real sad part is when you know everybody's kind of gotten to the beach, but Mrs. Kintner w- stands out like asking for her son, just like you know Alex, Alex. Then we cut to later, and in response, 
to the death of her son. Apparently, Miss Kittner has posted a bounty uh, for killing the shark, three thousand dollars, and that's also causing you know not panic, but it's causing like you know uproar in the mm-hmm. community. They're trying to you know it's it's causing um nobody wants this kind of attention <laughs> right. right now here at the not an Amity, no, it's a it's a family town, you know, it's a yep. beach beach. Uh, it's a beach vacation spot, so all this would have been avoided if the mayor just listened to the sheriff. I'm just gonna say, yeah, uh, Brody gets a lot of the shit, but it he is does. the mayor who's the real villain of this movie. That's absolutely true. Fucking local politics, motherfuckers. <laughs> Kidding, I work in local politics. I love local <laughs> politics. Not in my town. My town would have done the right thing. <laughs> well, your town's not on the ocean, so eh, no, it's not. But we have a lake. Maybe there's a big old shark in the lake. I don't know. No, more likely a gator, actually. Yeah, there's. I mean, I think there might have been like years and years ago. I think there was a story that there was a gator in West Point Lake, but that's all right. Probably someone's pet. <laughs> yeah, in Georgia, yeah, my pet gator. Uh, all right, uh, the local, the town council hold a meeting. Uh, Brody tells them his plans to close the beaches, and the whole townspeople they're all in uproar because they're all the businessmen uh, and businesswomen in the area that they rely on that summer beach season. And Fourth of July is coming up. And you've got to, you, you know, do it do it for the money. I mean, when you think about it, this movie is almost a clash on capitalism mm-hmm. that we will do whatever it is that corporate greed to make sure we make our money is more important than the lives of people. Well, you could you could I think you could absolutely write a uh, a review on this movie based on that. And then we do get another iconic scene as everyone's kind of like all in an uproar right here at the meeting. Quint scratches down the chalkboard to get everyone's attention. This is his introduction, a wonderful introduction as well. I hate that sound so much. Oh, it's everyone does. Exactly why it's good at uh, getting your attention. So, it's great introduction because it's also obvious that everyone already knows who he is. He, I mean, he does kind of say, you all knew who I am. You know what I do. You know, he says he'll catch the shark, but he's not doing it for 3000 He wants 10000 $10,000 for me by myself. For that, you get the head, the tail, the whole damn thing. You know, they're not ready to work with Quint yet. So uh, we cut to Brody moving forward with closing the beaches, and he's also trying to learn about sharks. I think a, almost a funny little scene here where his kids are kind of on a, by a dock. Well, you know, Michael, who is uh, a little bit older, and he wants to just go out and play, and he's got mm-hmm. a new boat, and he wants to just play with that thing. Brody's like, you know, get out there. And, and Ellen, his wife, is at first like, you know, just let him be. And then she looks at the book that he was looking at right. that has a shark bashing a boat. And then she, then she yells at Michael, get the <laughs> fuck out of the damn water right now. <laughs> so I liked that. Uh, we see some other guys uh, on a different dock in a different area. They uh, tie a big old pot roast uh, to a uh, hook and tie it to their dock. And they're trying to catch the shark that way. We then cut back to Brody, who's looking over uh, sharks and shark attack pictures. We get some very gruesome shark attack pictures that we see um, all while that dock and that tra- the trap that they're baiting with. Uh, it seems to work. The shark comes and gets it, uh, and it's pulling off the whole damn dock. Uh, <laughs> and then it starts to go after that guy. And I want to say, again, this is an awesome way of showing the shark coming after the guy without showing the shark. Because mm-hmm. you're getting, I mean, great, obviously, tenacious music. But because... Obviously, I guess that pot roast hook is in the mouth of the shark. You know it's coming after the guy because it pulled off part of that dock. And 
literally you see the guy who got you know fallen into the water he's turning around and swimming for his life to get back to shore but instead of seeing the shark or even the shark fin turn around you're literally just seeing that bits of piece the piece of the dock slowly turn around as the shark is realizing there's a bigger thing to eat in the water and so you see and it's just following him and this it's literally a piece of drifting wood that is flo- floating towards the guy and he's av- able to uh, get to shore on time but mm-hmm. it's a very uh, a very tense scene yeah so all right uh, the next day a whole bunch of fishermen are going out hunting for sharks now uh, we then we also meet Hooper who gets in he's from the oceanographic Institute that Brody called to have them uh, help study the shark and figure out what the hell to do and it's just madness as we're seeing people some people bringing dynamite other people are just filling up their boat too much and they're just idiots and they're all trying to go get a piece of that three thousand dollar pie is basically what's happening Hooper wants to go see the remains of the girl so he can examine her body uh, and which he does and he explains and I like this shot here as well it's all kind of done through dialogue where we saw like a pit of her hand earlier that had the crabs on it mm-hmm. uh, but right now Hooper is just explaining everything he's seeing yeah and it's brutal and we have a shot that's a low angle shot going up at Hooper again almost as if you're looking down from uh, from the body up to him and he's just going over how brutally she was she was murdered and explaining that it was a shark and all this stuff. He does pull up uh, her torn off arm at one point right. um, and kind of showing a bite, but it's it's very to, it's very effective. Yeah, and actually to the the very first scene um, when you see her arm on the beach, they had a mm-hmm. fake arm and it it looked horrible, so they buried a female crew member. <laughs> <laughs> had her just leave her arm out. Just had her hair, her hair arm out. Yeah, because it, it, the fake one looked too. It looked too fake. Okay, all right, fair enough. All right, so we then cut to fishermen who have pulled out a shark. They killed something. A big old shark is dead. They got it, John. Woo! Movie's <laughs> over, and we're we're out of here. Uh, but Hooper looks at it. It's a tiger shark. He's familiar with it. He takes a look and does some measurements, and uh, we even see Quint kind of boating by just kind of you know just kind of not foreboding but just foreshadowing that you know okay quint is still around and he's going to be needed brody of course ecstatic because they they got this shark but hooper says it's not the same one it has a different bite radius he wants to cut it open because they have a small a slow digestive tract and they would have human remain bits in it uh so but they're not going to do that because you know they just want honestly they just want to believe that they got the shark but Mm -hmm. then up walks Miss Kintner. And this is honestly the reason that we're having Miss Kintner cast in the movie. Right. Or in our next movie. Is she walks up. You know, she's wearing all black because obviously right now must be uh, where they're doing the funeral for her son. And she slaps Brody right across the face. And a very emotional scene because she blames him because she heard about this girl, Chrissy, you know, who got killed a week earlier and they didn't close the beaches. I just found out that a girl got killed here last week. And you knew it. You knew there was a shark out there. (laughs) You knew it was dangerous. But you let people go swimming anyway. (laughs) You knew all those things. But still my boy is dead now. There's nothing you can do about it. And now it's Brody's fault 
that her son is dead because they knew about this. It happened before. Uh, but again, I just I want to tell her right that it's not him. It's the <laughs> fucking mayor. Yeah, so. and he doesn't pony up. But I mean, I Bob probably to Brody's credit, he doesn't out the mayor to anyone. No, no, no. I mean, he's an honorable guy. Yeah. Absolutely. At home, uh, Brody's with his family, and we see a cute little scene. His son is mimicking him. Um, I think this is a nice little, almost like a, a stab into the heart of Brody, because I think he's getting saddened thinking about this is his little boy who's mimicking him, and he's thinking about Mrs. Kintner's kid now mm-hmm. who's dead. So I think that's where the parallel of this episode or this scene comes from. Uh, um, and then Hooper then comes over for dinner with some wine, and he lets them know yeah, that the shark that was caught was not the right one. And I, you know, Brody doesn't want to hear it. He doesn't want to believe it, but he knows it. He knows it. And so I do like a spot. He, he takes the glass or the bottle of red wine and he just pours it into his water glass, a big old fucking <laughs> glass of red wine for him as he pours smaller ones for his wife and Hooper. Uh, but he agrees to cut open the shark to make sure that it's the right one. And it's, and it really is. Mrs. Kintner is, because Brody wants so bad to believe that they got the real one, but her slapping him almost slapped him back a little bit into reality that he has to make sure. Yeah. He has to be certain that this was the actual shark. So they go and uh, he and Hooper cut into it, cut into that tiger shark, and they pull out of various things, a lot of fish parts and whatnot, uh, and then a license plate even, yeah. uh, but no, no human body parts. So then Hooper wants to go out to the water right then and there to try and find... The shark. They want to. They want to go see it. Um, but Brody, he's not a water guy. Then we had some little inklings that he has talked about. He's like, I'm not drunk enough to get on the boat. He hates the water. So they get they get him on there, and he is drunk as a skunk. You can tell just to get the fuck on the water. Um, and they take a bit, uh, but they you know try to they find something big in that water, and they end up finding a boat. It's Ben Gardner's boat. Uh, it's this local fisherman. Apparently, he must have been out searching for the shark or something. Uh, and so Hooper goes down into the water. He, he does a little diving suit and gets down in there. And what does he find? A big old hole that obviously was created by something. He and even sees a shark tooth. And then what else does he see? Fucking Ben Gardner's head floating out from inside of it. And he's fucking dead. So this scene was actually added later um, because uh, apparently Stephen, as as he put it himself, he got greedy um, because he saw the jump scare that the initial or that the reveal of the shark later that we get got from the audience and he wanted another one so they added this this particular part in uh, with the head popping out so that uh, he could have another gotcha. jump scare and I will say um, when I was teaching uh, when I was teaching film studies and we got to this scene I would not watch the movie I would watch the students the to kids. see yeah. which one of because a lot of them would, would be like Oh, this is boring, Mr. Spees. I'm like, well, first of all, you're not watching it, so that's you're you're, you're literally like, I can tell you're on your phone because nobody looks at their crotch uh, while they're sitting in a chair. So, well, I, I mean, I do sometimes. <laughs> I said it's a it's a beautiful crotch. <laughs> I'm sure it is. Um, but I would always watch them because this inevitably, like, the entire class would jump right here. Yeah. I honestly think this is a better jump scare scare than the shark one. I agree. Well, also because by the time we get the shark jump scare, we've already technically seen the shark. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So, all right. Uh, the next day, Hooper and Brody tell the mayor about it's a, it's a great white. He's That's what Hooper says. This is a great white, which we all kind of, well, we know that now. Like, this movie made great whites. Fucking A household infamous. name, man. Yeah. Yeah. 
um, that that's what's in their waters. And the mayor is skeptical, and he's like, "Oh, you didn't pull out the shark. It's you know, the, or the, you didn't pull out the tooth." So it's like, no, it's not really true. And he's also pissed that uh, apparently some kids vandalized the uh, Amity <laughs> sign. I like that that they have there as well. So and we find out that tomorrow's the Fourth of July, and he demands the beaches to be open. So it's the fourth, and yeah, everybody's coming to the uh, island for a vacation. Beaches are full, and. Uh, while Hooper and other fishermen are they're out in the water, they're watching. You know that's that's the kind of tactic they're taking. Is Brody will stay on the beach with a other you know kind of policemen helping just keep an eye out, while other people are out on boats trying to watch for this shark. So we actually then get a little TV reporter who is talking to the camera about like kind of the previous shark attacks, and uh, this guy, that little uh, interviewer as they called him, but he's a little TV reporter. It's a cameo from the novel writer Peter Benchley. Oh, that's cool. So, yeah. So, all right. Uh, the mayor is seeing no one's going in the water, of course, because why the fuck would you go? I would not go there no. if I heard about even just two shark attacks uh, recently. Uh, but, you know, he tried to push people to go into the water, and so they eventually do, and they're all enjoying it. And, and I no. can tell you that if the mayor came up to me and was like, why don't you get in the water? I would be like, go fuck yourself. You get in the water. If you want yeah. people to be in there so fast, you go first. You got to prove to me that it is safe to go in there. But I like that exactly. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know. Honestly, know why everyone was like just doing what the mayor said. Yeah, you know what? I feel like in you know this movie was meant to made today that the mayor would have died. You know, <laughs> it would have been nice to get something to get the mayor <laughs> right to get his death. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, Brody tells uh, their son not to take their boat into like the you know main area of the water. Go down to like this pond area. It's kind of like you know a little almost like a bay area. It's right. A small cove and so then it happens someone sees a fin they start screaming hysteria as they run out of the water but it's uh some kids wearing a fake fin and just fucking with everybody because that's what kids do and you know that's it but then this girl sees a legit shark fin and it's going into the pond area shit exactly where brody told his son and his friends to go and so Brody, we see Brody's kid, Michael, and his friends getting knocked into the water, and like the shark is kind of bumped up this other boat, and it ends up getting this dude, this other dude who is right by them, and he gets pulled down and eaten, and we get our first visuals of the actual shark right. in this part. You said, yeah, right, because it's not that jump shark, jump scare later with, with uh, Brody chumming. Here we get the first bits of the shark where we're actually seeing him, and we're actually over an hour into the movie at this point. Yeah. I would, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about this scene real quick because I actually used to use this scene to um, talk about the effectiveness. I think I've actually mentioned this before uh, about the effectiveness of the score uh, when we first see the fin that kind of scares people out of the water. You know what we don't hear the theme. The theme. Uh, you know you don't think about and that. The, yeah. it literally it's the it's the it's them telling you that this is not the shark um, because the second we see the real shark, that's when the theme comes in. So they're, nice. they're utilizing kind of just silence. There's actually no music going on during that scene. It's all just the natural audio. And so it it's really a good use of theme and the effectiveness of that in this particular spot. I do yeah. want to say, do you does it seem to you like the, the girl who screams shark, like her voice was ADR'd? Because it looks like she screams <laughs> shark and her mouth doesn't really move. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, that could be a bit. She did a sound... Odd. It, shark. Yeah, it's not. There's a shark in the water. It, like she's high <laughs> as shit. That's exactly yes. And she absolutely sounded a bit uh, toasted, a little <laughs> bit uh, 
faded, as the kids would say today. Yeah. So uh, I do want to mention, as we now have finally seen a little bit of the actual. Uh, show. Well, Michael luckily gets pulled out of the water and he's safe, but if he's in shock. Yeah. Uh, so there's that. So, of course, this is a bit of trivia that I feel like a lot of people know. Uh, apparently, uh, three sharks were used, like mechanical sharks were used in the making of this movie, each having kind of a specialized functions that they would use for different times of what filming what certain things. And they were nicknamed Bruce. So the mechanical shark was nicknamed Bruce. And apparently that was named after Spielberg's lawyer. Right. So, so just kind of a funny little bit of trivia for everybody. All right. Michael was taken to the hospital because of his, his shock. Uh, and Brody forces the mayor to sign, uh, you know, this, this paperwork so he can hire Quint so they can get the contractor to hire Quint. And so Hooper and Brody, they talk to Quint. Quint just wants to go off on his own. He, you know, he wants to, that was his plan, but Brody's going to go because he's hiring, he's chartering this boat and he's the chief of police and Hooper's going to go because of his knowledge base. Um, and we immediately see Hooper and Quint do not like each other. He thinks, Quint thinks that Hooper is just like this preppy white collar college educated kid where Quint is like kind of like, you know, he, he's from the gruff, the real, not the streets, but the, the, the waters, <laughs> the if you will. He's a working man. He is. Uh, and apparently uh, Robert Shaw and Richard Dreyfus did not get along on set. Uh, apparently they were just, they did not work well together and actually added to the tension between them. You can kind of yeah. see it in the movie, yeah. which from what I'd heard, because Richard Dreyfus came from kind of like the new Hollywood, the new method. He was more like of a method actor, that type of thing. Uh, and, and Robert Shaw was kind of more from the old school Hollywood. And so uh, they didn't, they didn't work together well. So anyway, they do some prep and Hooper's bringing all this kind of like fancy technological uh, gadgets and this shark cagey thing and all this kind of stuff and Quint thinks it's stupid you know he just he has his methods and they're tried and true and it's the way he does it uh, Ellen hugs her husband goodbye as they head on out on Quint's boat which is na- which is named the Orca which is a perfectly fitting name for a boat because an Orca is the killer whale mm-hmm. uh, which is known for attacking and even killing sharks yeah so all right uh, out on the boat we get a little setup with some compressed air tanks uh, that Hooper kind of talks about these, you know, they're the, his underwater breathing tanks, but they're compressed air. It's perfect filmmaking because it's planting stuff. You know, you're seeing this. We're going to get some reinforcements on that later. Um, Quint notices that he's got something on his line. So we see him starting to kind of strap in. And I would say like the first dance begins with the shark uh, and it goes under the boat. And he's a he's a smart big fish. Uh, this kind of shit. You know, it's, it's almost like a chess match between Quint and this shark. Mm-hmm. Hooper doesn't think it's a shark at first, uh, but then the fishing line breaks, so it had to be something big. And so it's just kind of showing that Quint knows his shit, too. So Later, that shot we talked about where Brody is chumming the water, uh, and while he's chumming, we get that visual. The shark jumps out of the water. You get a little jump scare, and he shoots up. To me, it's not the jump scare that does it. It is Roy Scheider's reaction. The way he springs <laughs> Man, up, that, that's the shot. Dude, that dude popped up like... <laughs> Yeah, that hurt my back just watching it. <laughs> I know, but like to me, yeah, that's the iconic shot that it actually comes from it, and we get amazing line. You're gonna need a bigger boat. You're gonna need a bigger boat, as he talks to Quint, which was ad libbed. It was ad libbed. Uh, it's fucking great ad lib, Jesus. Yeah. So uh, the shark comes by, and they see it. You know, Hooper's like, it's a twenty footer. Oh, Quint, twenty five. <laughs> So just he just, just got to prove that he knows more than this college boy. 
He does. Which apparently, like, the largest great white ever was around 20-ish feet or something like that. Okay. So this is the greatest great white shark of, of all time. All right, as the hunt continues, Quint, he shoots a spear into the shark with a barrel. And, you know, we do get a little tension as Hooper was trying to get his uh, tracker thing or something on it. And he ties it on. And he's able to tie the uh, barrel just in time before the shark takes it. And then he takes the barrel underwater. Uh, so now they're waiting for this shark to get tired by having having to carry and pull this barrel. That kind of stuff. I want to so. call out the music during this scene. It's yeah. almost weirdly uplifting and like yes. fanfarish. It is, but it like it really to me it sets off sort of, especially for this you know back half back third of the film, the literal adventure that they're going to have on this boat, chasing this you know stupid fish. Yeah, uh, you know there's. There's I was going to mention it for later, but because this is this is a this is a horror. What's well, a movie with horror aspects, right. but it is more of an adventure movie to me than it is. A, I never put Jaws like, directly in that horror category. No, I, I, I would I would say more thriller than horror. Sure. There's nothing. OK. I mean, there are some horror elements. You're seeing people getting disemboweled and mm-hmm. and whatnot and, and limbs broken off. But it's it's not to the point where it feels like a horror film. It feels more thriller and definitely yeah. adventure yeah 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 so all right uh, so now they're just waiting and they're drinking and waiting and while they're doing that we get another i say I, i've said iconic a lot but this movie is iconic scene where hint uh, or quint and hooper are going back and forth comparing scars and injuries right. and this has been parodied by a lot of things but yeah. it's a great scene it's a bull shark Scraped me when I was taking samples. I got something for you. That's the thresher. You see that? Chief Thresher's tail. Until uh, one of them notices, oh, you have a like a what is that like a tattoo? Or he got it removed on his arm, and he explains it was a tattoo from the USS Indianapolis that was on his arm. I will, I'm going to call out Richard Dreyfus. His face goes sober so mm-hmm. fast, and like just. Because he's 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 hysterically laughing because he thinks it was you know a tattoo of the word mother or something like that, yeah. and just the way he brings himself out of it, y- you immediately know that there's a story there. That yeah. thankfully we get the story, but we do, and we do in one of the greatest monologues in film history right mm-hmm. here. It's up there with with uh, Gregory Peck's lawyer speech in To Kill a Mockingbird and then a whole bunch of other ones. Like, this is phenomenal. You know the thing about a shark? He's got lifeless eyes. Black eyes, like a doll's eyes. When he comes at you, doesn't seem to be living until he bites you. And those black eyes roll over white and then... Oh, then you hear that terrible high-pitched screaming. The ocean turns red and in spite of all the pounding and the hollering, they all come in and they rip you to pieces. He explains the whole story of the USS Indianapolis, how they got hit by Japanese torpedoes and they were stranded in the water. Like most people died, you know, with the sink, the ship going down. But there were so and so many people who got into the water and they had to protect themselves for days. And they had sharks coming out of them, picking people off. Uh, and this really explains so much about Quint's 
story and who Quint is that one, he's a survivalist. He will, he, he pushes and stays alive, but he also fucking hates sharks. <laughs> and this gives that background as to why he hunts them down in this intense hatred, which gives us even further down when he kind of, and I'll, and we'll get to it. He kind of goes mad trying to kill this fucking shark. Right. We see it, and it's because he has this intense hatred, and we're getting it from this story. But the story is so perfectly delivered. After that, they kind of, you know, lighten up the mood, do some drunken singing together. But then, I guess the shark doesn't like them singing because it comes and attacks their boat, and it's like it's like ramming the boat, the boat basically, and just reminding them that it's still that it's still there, and it's still you know going to to going to get them. But it kind of just quickly leaves that moment. So, in the morning. We find the boat is is kind of messed up. You know, they're having to fix some things. Uh, and then, as they're trying to work on it, up pops a barrel. Uh-oh, is that uh, that barrel the shark's been having been around? And it's apparently kind of been chewed off. But up pops the shark as well, and it scares him. Uh, so Brody tries to make a mayday call to the Coast Guard. But Quint, here, you're kind of seeing that shift to where he's gone too far. Um, where he's really, you know, he it's becoming an obsessive thing for him mm-hmm. to get this shark. Where he bashes the radio with a baseball bat because he doesn't want the Coast Guard to come and save them. He wants to kill that shark himself. He wants that money. So he does. I mean I think he's I think it's more so about he hates the shark and wants to kill it than it is even about the money. I think you're right. Actually I think he I think he even says like when they first leave, like he gets paid whether they gets the shark or not. So Yeah, true. So Alright, uh and the shark comes back around and they tag him with another barrel and they're even kind of starting to chase him. And then they get another barrel on him at this one point. And again, some more kind of this adventure stuff where they're starting to chase the shark and trying to, you know, it's this back and forth. Brody even shoots the shark with his pistol a bit, you know. He's really <laughs> not going to do shit. No. Uh, so the tar- the shark at this moment has two barrels on it. And the ropes end up getting, they're tying the ropes to the cleats of the boat so they can just drag the shark in that way. But... We also get little quick visuals of the uh, compressed air tanks in this spot and all this kind of stuff. So the the shark tied to the boat is causing havoc because it's pulling the damn boat. It's that strong of a shark. It's now pulling the boat backwards and Quint has to end up cutting the lines or else it would like pull them all under. But as they're doing it, they, you know, they shot another barrel and all this kind of stuff. It's got three damn barrels on them and it's still causing those issues. And the Quint is confident the shark can't pull down three barrels, not three barrels. But that son of a bitch does. It's, it's, it's the strongest shark that ever has sharked. Uh, and so now it's uh, it's it's really proving itself right here. So so the plan is to kind of move the shark closer to shore. They're going to they're going to drown him is kind of how he says it. But he Quint is trying to basically it's it's coming. The shark is literally like coming after them. And so they're just going to move closer to the shore to try and, you know, uh, get it there. But here we see he's pushing the engine like he is driving the engine as fast as he can, which is already having problems. And he is just he's snapped almost, you know, he's obsessed with getting it. And so as the engine blows, they're taking on more water and they're slowly sinking. Quint resigned. Uh, he even mentions after when he talked about his USS Indianapolis story, he mentions I'll never put on a life jacket again. Yeah. They know he knows that this, the, the boat is screwed and it's going down. He gives life jackets to Brody and Hooper. And just kind of resigned that, all right, we're going to have to face this bastard head on right now. Mono uh, shark. I did. I did catch that this time. Uh, specifically, I don't know why I'd never caught the line. I'll never put on a life jacket again. But I caught it this time. And then I saw him 
I saw them pan to the life jackets and then him come out with just two and throw them to the other guys. And I was like, okay, that's a, mm-hmm. that's a nice, you know, even, even so many years later, I'm still catching yeah. these little things that they're throwing into the uh, script here. Absolutely. Uh, Hooper basically knows they don't have too many other plans. So he still has the shark cage and he has like a, a little spear that has a syringe and needle that has like, you know, basically poison, something that can kill the shark if he gets it into its mouth so they want to try that. And so it's like, all right, that's one of the last options to give it a shot, though. And so he puts on the web suit and he grabs one of the air tanks. And we visually see that there's one other one left, of course. Uh, Hooper then lowers, it gets lowered in the cage and the shark comes right by him. And then it attacks him kind of from behind. You know, it's attacking this cage and it's just kind of tearing it apart. He ends up dropping the syringe in the madness. And the shark continues to attack the cage. It's busting through stuff. Uh, he's even stabbing it with a, with a knife. <laughs> Luckily, the shark can't quite get to him. And so Hooper is able to swim and get below down into the water. He's able to hide kind of, you know, by some rocks and, and, and stuff down there. But uh, they have to pull up the cage. And uh, at first they can't because the crane gives way because the shark is on top of, the, of that crane. So it doesn't not going to work that way and so that busts and they eventually get it up and they see that it's completely busted and Hooper's not in there so they assume he's dead and it's gone to all hell so then the shark fucking yeets itself onto the back of the boat (laughs) (laughs) that's exactly what happens it's just like well you know what fuck it yeet and it (laughs) and it hits the back of the boat where all everything is kind of getting slid down towards it Uh, Quint is the one who can't kind of stop himself and the screaming, the blood. That's what sells it for me is the is his it like his absolute terror yeah. coming from this hard ass blue collar guy yeah. who's been nothing but tough this whole time, and the just abject terror on his face as he's sliding his way down to the mouth of the shark. It parallels his story of the Indianapolis because he talked about the screaming, the high-pitched wailing of the of the people yeah. they die. And it's such an awful ending for Quint. And I don't say awful in a, I don't like it, as in awful, I feel bad for the character. He went through hell. Right. Going through Indianapolis, only to come around this long later, and he dies the exact same way. Yeah, that uh, that he didn't want to, that he got out of before. Right, and it's just fucking awful for him. Yeah. So Brody is now alone. The shark is still coming after him. Uh, it's never, it's never satisfied. There's never <laughs> enough food for this shark, so it's coming after him. It's also a very spiteful shark, you know. Yeah. It, it 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 knows. Uh, and so, you know, he has to try to beat it down. He's got all this stuff. He's he ends up trying to beat it with an air tank at one point, and then it kind of gets lodged in the shark's mouth. And so he has to, as it kind of goes around a circle to come for another attack, Brody is able to climb up to the crow's nest, you know, the last, that's like the last little bit of the, of the ship that's still above water right now. Right. And uh, he has this uh, one rifle and he is shooting at it, you know, as he's, as he's to the top of it. He's, his music is swelling. It's, it's very good right here. Uh, he's trying to hit the air tank, you know, knowing that it'll cause an explosion and kill the shark. And then he give, drops a, one of the best damn one-liners. <laughs> That's so awesome. Smile, you son of a bang! And it blows that. It blows up that shark. Yeah. He got it. It's awesome. Hooper ends up surfacing because he was able to hide and stay down there. 
you know, simple little line, Quint, no. So it's just the two of them, and they use those barrels and kind of make a makeshift raft as they swim back towards shore, and that's the end of the movie. Mr. Spees, please uh, let us know your thoughts on rewatching Jaws after a couple years, I'm sure. It's been a few years. It doesn't matter how long it's been since I've seen this movie. It's a classic for a reason. It's so good. Um, I did watch this with the family. I don't think, and I I don't know. I think I think her attention span has been waning lately. <laughs> she just she hasn't been into any of the stuff I've been uh, trying to show her. Um, uh-huh. I, I also I think she's actually seen this movie before. Okay. Um. So uh, because she likes she likes horror stuff. Yeah. So I think maybe she's already jaded by some of the horror stuff. Uh, but my son watched it, and I think he really did like it. He's been very interested in kind of like, you know, as much as he's been interested in like, you know, classic music and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. by classic, I mean like classic rock and stuff like that. Yeah. He's been interested in like movies. So I think he enjoyed it. I love the hell out of this movie. It's I, I don't want to go so far as to say it's a near perf- perfect film, but... It it gives you everything it needs and mm-hmm. and I maybe it could be a little bit faster at the beginning but honestly I don't even I think that would detract from uh, the suspense of everything as it you know as it goes through so I think it's it's a great film and it always has and always will be yes uh, this movie has stood the test of time for a reason because it is a phenomenal damn near perfect movie um, the scary elements it's not a perfect horror because it's not I don't I don't put it into that category as we already talked about. But it's still, it's the thriller aspects. You know, you do get some jump scares. And for me, it's, the performances are incredible. Robert Shaw and Roy Scheider and uh, Richard Dreyfuss. These three guys who have to go out and triumph. Almost like this David versus Goliath kind of a thing. These three piddly humans have to go against this giant of a shark in its own territory. And they and it almost gets them, but they luckily survive. It's a f- fantastic movie. Uh, and it's worthy of getting so much praise. And honestly, it is mm-hmm. one to be studied. For a film nerd, I can see why it has stood the test of time and why I, you study it so you can try to learn from it and just see that how Spielberg, you know, one of his earlier movies, how he became he became a master. And he was, he was so smart from the beginning, too. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's just absolutely amazing movie. All right, we are going to go from one of the best things ever to maybe one of the worst things ever. <laughs> You're not lying. <laughs> he ain't lying. Uh, and we're talking Jabberjaw. This is the... <laughs> and I, I'm going to apologize. I chose this because it's a shark thing. But it also right. kind of fits because it came out in 1976, uh, one year after Jaws, uh, 16 episodes on ABC. Uh, and it came about because the, the whole... Jaws thing like this 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 show right. drew inspiration from the shark mania that happened because of Jaws so that's why we got this cartoon so Jabberjaw was created by Joe Ruby and Ken Spears uh, they are most famous for creating uh, Scooby Doo and the Scooby Doo show and you can tell by some of the character design <laughs> by the entire aspects of it yeah so I mean it only it's only one season sixteen episodes this was not a huge show but. I remember Jabberjaw because it was a character that would pop up in things like right. there was that um, 
uh, Laugh Olympics, Jabberjaw would be on there, or I would watch Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law, and Jabberjaw would be on that, or okay. or like you know maybe like, maybe like Space Ghost or something like that. Uh, so this was a character that would kind of pop around on multiple things, and I thought it was worth talking about because let's talk about the cast. And Jabberjaw was voiced by the amazing Frank Welker. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and it was Frank Welker doing a curly from three stooges impression right where is he where is he where's that dumb shark that looks like me (laughs) all right the uh other the band so uh the other characters biff was done by tommy cook uh he had a lot of older stuff like westerns and some old old kind of classic movies things um not too much i recognize though uh shelly was voiced by patricia paris uh she voiced kanga in multiple winnie the pooh things Mm. as well as did a a voice on fraggle rock and a lot of other stuff uh, Bubbles was voiced by Julie McWhorter. Uh, she was a huge, big role in Smurfs, uh, Flintstones Kids, and also was the voice of Casper in the 70s cartoons. And then Clamhead, who looked exactly like Shaggy to me. <laughs> yes, he did. Exactly like Shaggy. Uh, was voiced by Barry Gordon, who was awesome. We talked about him because he voiced Donatello in the yep. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles show. Also, he was one of the main SWAT cats. Uh, he's done a lot of stuff. So, yeah. so all right. Jabberjaw is a 15-foot great white shark. He's the drummer for the Neptunes, which is a rock group made up of four teenagers, uh, the ones who I just mentioned, and the shark, naturally, and they live in an underwater civilization in the year 2076, okay? Um, And Jabberjaw and the Neptunes travel to various underwater cities where they encounter and deal with assorted megalomaniacs and supervillains who want to conquer the undersea world. That makes sense. I totally buy that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, the whole that's the whole premise is they have to stop these different weird and, and maniacal vi- villains and shit like that. And it's a very Hanna-Barbera. Uh, it's a lot yeah. like other Hanna-Barbera shows, as you mentioned, Scooby-Doo. I mean, this show is exactly Scooby-Doo and Josie and the Pussycats put together and then add a shark. Right. I mean... Clearly, they just kind of took aspects of what they already had and yeah. just put it together to put it to have a new show. Like let's let's capitalize on this shark craze and mm-hmm. see if we can make a show out of it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, there was the other ones that they had. They had that uh, speed buggy show, which was a group of teenagers and a anthropomorphic <laughs> or a, a live speed a speed buggy, little buggy right. dune buggy car drives around and they. <laughs> stop people and villains and solve crimes and shit man the drugs in the 70s were good oh hell yeah (laughs) (laughs) so uh, there were a couple catchphrases from this show uh biff would say jumping jellyfish uh jabberjaw who ripped off roddy dangerfield said i don't get no respect (laughs) i mean fucking it's a complete ripoff yeah uh and clamhead would say wowie wowie or wowie wow or zowie wowie or things like that and this is the shaggy like character in his it was not good. Um, it, it was not. <laughs> I watched. I didn't even get through one episode. I watched half of an episode. I didn't either. Oh man! So there, there are a couple episodes you can find full episodes on Daily Motion, but they That's do have I the pitch shifted onto them, so you don't. They don't sound exactly the same. Right. And I, I could not get through a single fucking episode because I found, bad. I found one episode on Daily Motion that was not pitch shifted. Okay. So I listened to that, and I still only got about halfway yeah. through, and I couldn't. <laughs> yes. I couldn't. I couldn't uh, keep going. I uh, do see a couple of big name uh, voice actors who are also on this one. Okay. Casey Kasem. Oh, Casey Kasem. Hell yeah. Uh, Key Luke, uh, who was the grandfather in Gremlins. Oh, 
okay. Also very famously was in, in the Charlie Chan films of the 30s. Yes, yeah, exactly. He, uh, he, played, he played the, the sidekick yeah, or whatever. <laughs> the actual Asian guy didn't play the lead Asian character. Yeah, of course not. Because, you know, Hollywood. Um, and uh, there was a theme song, of course, as there were with a lot of these Hanna-Barbera shows. The most futuristic shot you ever saw. I can rock and talk and look. And the theme song was kind of cringy to me nowadays. It just wasn't very good. Uh, it's, it's fine. It was. It's cl- it was cute. Pro- yeah, product of its time. Um, it was uh, done by Hoyt Curtin, who had done a lot of other Hanna Barbera theme songs. He did the thi- he did Flintstones, Jetsons, Josie and the Pussycats, the Smurfs, whole bunch more. So I mean, you know, this was trying to you know be similar enough, but it just it just wasn't there. I tell you what, Hoyt is a name that uh, d- did not make it out of the seventies. I don't think. <laughs> no, Hoyt. Hoyt was yeah. Unfortunately, it's it's lost. Among the ages, so. Speaking of Hoyt, there's Hoyt Axon, who was also in the Gremlins. Sorry. Oh, okay. Who All was right. the father. Um, I have literally nothing else to talk about this show <laughs> because it is, it's fucking terrible. I have nothing positive to say about it. It was so boring. It was so boring. It wasn't funny. Like, uh, the, the, it, it, the entire show felt derivative. It felt like I had seen this before and I'd seen it better. With Scooby Doo, as I say, Scooby Doo did it better. Uh-huh. Even Josie and the Pussycats did it better. Yeah, and, and I feel bad. I honestly feel a little dirty <laughs> for putting it next to Jaws, and I'm sorry about that. It's it's, it's 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 do not watch it. You know, if anybody watched it as a kid, I feel sorry for you because it's like you're the kind of people where your parents bought you fucking gigapets instead of Tamagotchi. Um, you know, you only ate Hydrox instead of Oreo. You know, you had the knockoffs. Even though I know Hydrox was the original, still nowadays it's considered the knockoff. But this is just well, a damn I, knockoff, I, and it's not as good. I hate to say it, but Oreo was better. So yeah, Oreo won exactly. <laughs> this episode of the Blast from Our Past podcast is not brought to you by. Just when you thought it was safe to eat fruit snacks, here comes. Shark bites, a feeding frenzy of fruity fun, hammerheads, mako sharks, tiger sharks, shark bites, fruit snacks. You've got to eat them before they eat you. All right, now we're going to do the casting portion of the show. As we mentioned before, we have the unenviable task of trying to recast Jaws using actors of today. Talk about your mission impossibles. <laughs> Ho! Adam, I gotta say. I think I got a damn good cast. Me too. I'm not going to lie. I feel pretty freaking good about my I, cast. I, I got to say, I actually did this pretty quickly. I got it done pretty fast. But when I was done, I'm like, damn, I think this is a really good cast. I think I really kind of, I kind of think I kind of nailed it a little bit with this one, honestly. Okay. So I'm, I'm excited to share my cast. So we will do the characters of Brody Quint Hooper. Uh, Ellen, who is Brody's wife, the Mayor Vaughn, and, of course, Mrs. Kittner. Uh, so we'll go ahead and start off with Mrs. Kittner, and Adam, you can start us off. Sure. Um, I I mean, you could put a lot of different people. It's a very short, you know, but impactful scene. 
Yeah, and I I I will say that I casted uh, a higher name because now the role is iconic. Yeah. At the time, it was a kind of a, not a throwaway role, but it was a small role. But now I think the impact of that role would impact the casting of it. Yes. So, sorry. I, continue. I wholeheartedly agree. I mine's a, a big name as well. She's a one of I think our best actors right now. I think she's a phenomenal actress. But I will say she's older than Miskin. Miskin already looked fairly old. I would say mm-hmm. that sounds mean to say, but. Everyone in the 70s looked old. They did. No, nobody was using sunscreen. I am turning my Miss Kintner into a grandma instead of a mother, though. I don't know if that uh, will hurt it, but I okay. still think it'll, it'll be an impact um, because she could mention, you know, now my grandson is dead or something as she slaps him. Sure. It'll still be because I, honestly, I kind of got it, because the the Lee Fiera or Fiero, whatever um, that actress who played her. The, she looked like this actress to me and so that's why I was like you know what I'm just gonna even though she's 65 right now I want her in it and she's done kind of cameo roles before in movies I've seen and I think she would be just she's she would bring the performance that I need for this short little bit I went with Frances McDormand as my Mrs. Kintner okay I'm totally behind that yeah I mean the, the good thing about if if you know Aside from the fact that if if they announced that they were going to reboot Jaws, everyone would lose their bloody minds <laughs> yes. about it. But if given the opportunity, there's a lot of actors who'd be like, you know what, just put me in it. True, you know, just put me in it, and I think she would give an absolutely uh, great performance. Yep. Okay. I kind of went along the same vein. Um, I picked an actress who, oddly enough, I think kind of has physical similarities to Frances McDormand. So I don't I don't I think you and I were just kind of like on two sides of basically the same coin. Um yours might be a a, a bigger name, but you're definitely going to know who mine is. If you don't know her by name, you'll definitely know her by her her um by her look and definitely by her voice. Uh I went with Lori Metcalf. Oh, no, I I mean I know Lori Metcalf. Uh, no, no, I'm thinking of Lori Petty. Lori Metcalf uh, was in why the fuck am I now? She was in uh, oh, Roseanne. Yes. Roseanne, yes, of course, of course, and Big Bang Bang um, Theory. And I see the yeah. look. Yes, the look is very similar. Um, she we talked about her when we talked to Uncle Buck. She yeah. plays Marcy, the neighbor. Yeah. Um, and very famously was the voice of the mother on all the Toy Story movies. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good call. That is very similar, actually, to Francis McDormand. Yep, I like oh. that. Uh, all right, Mayor Vaughn. Uh, I went with an actor who she, she's just as she's as old as yeah, I was to say she's age. the same yeah. age. So we're both going yeah. grandmas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so for my Mayor Vaughn, I picked an actor who I've seen recently because he's on a show that I'm watching right now. But he's already one. He was already one of my favorite um, character actors. So it wasn't that to me. It wasn't that uh, big of a reach. If you don't know his name, again, you'll know him by looking at him because you've seen him on a bunch of different stuff. He's a, a very talented character actor. And I think for us, we would know him best for his role in the movie Armageddon, uh, who plays the, he plays the character of Chick, and his name is Will Patton. I, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, he was like the best friend of Bruce Willis. Yeah. Kind of in there. Yeah, yeah. No, I like him. I like him. He is a, exactly, he's a character actor you see pop up in multiple different things, but he's always strong wherever he's at. Yeah. So he's currently on a TV show called Silo, 
which is based on a, a novel called Wool that I actually talked about over on Comics Underground, and I did with uh, Tim mm-hmm. from uh, Talking Back because we talked about the yeah. the graphic novelization of it. Okay. Um, and the show is pretty is pretty darn good so far. We've only got like four or five episodes in, but uh, nice. um, it's 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 a good episode. And he plays he plays uh, the deputy. Okay. And that, and he's fantastic. Nice. Great character actor. Yeah, that's a good call. All right. Um, so, I wanted an actor who, you know, I'd seen before who who could do. I mean, yeah, you can do a lot of people for Mayor Vama. You want somebody who, obviously, can have like asshole qualities. And uh, this guy, I think, I could totally see him being a mayor. And also, he had some. I don't know. There's just bits about him that I think fit pretty well. He was from from one of my all time favorite shows, The Wire. And I, I don't think I've ever used him yet, so I'm ha- very happy to. And the mayor, you want to be a little bit older, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. So I went uh, with I, a great great actor who played Bunk in The Wire. I went with Wendell Pierce as my Mayor Vaughn. Mr. Wendell. Yeah. I don't know if there's something that you've seen him in. I mean, because The Wire is really what I know him from. But... I... His face looks familiar. Wow, he was in The Money Pit. <laughs> yeah, way back. That's a good one. He's in Selma right. uh, more recently as well. I haven't seen Selma. Yeah. I should. I, I mean, I'm, I'm fully so, going on The Wire. On The Wire. Me. And that's fine. I mean, the, I, was, I must have seen him in a bunch of stuff because I recognize his face. Okay. But I... I don't know. And I think he was in Treme. He usually, I mean, the times he's, he's almost always wearing some kind of suit. I swear in like the thing, the pictures I see and other stuff, he just looks mayoral to me. He absolutely looks mayoral. I mean, dude is working. Yeah. He was in Ray. He's got a lot of credits. Mm -hmm. That bodes well for him. I mean, I got, I don't know him. Okay. I don't know why. Like, I don't know him, but his face definitely looks familiar. I think I've seen, I mean, or maybe I've seen clips mm-hmm. of things with him in it or something sure. like that. Sure. I, I mean, I'll take your word for it. Okay. Yeah. Dude, he's solid. Dude's, dude's working for sure. Yep. Got a hundred of 110 credits. Yeah. So guys working. And it's, and it's a lot of good name stuff too. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I saw, I saw a bunch of stuff. Okay, cool. Uh, all right. Uh, Ellen Brody, the wife, who did you pick? All right. Uh, so I went with an actress who she has played. Like a, like a, I guess, a mother and wife in another horror movie, and I think she would do good. She's and she's also a really strong actress. Ellen has a very small part. I feel like she's fairly small part in this movie. Mm-hmm. We could make it a little bit more substantial if we wanted to, but I mean, it's still strong. the 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 crux of the movie is to me these three guys coming together and all kind of seemingly three different types of people coming together against this one shark. Uh, but you definitely need to have like that nice support and that family support for uh, for the Chief Brody. Um, I went with Emily Blunt. Uh, she had done A Quiet Place before. Oh, okay. She's been in a lot of stuff. She's a big yeah. name for this role, yeah. but I think I think she would do great. Does that mean you picked John Krasinski as your Brody? Shut the fuck up. <laughs> uh, cool. No, I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. Would you make her do an American accent? Probably oh, you have to. Yes, so you yeah, got yeah. you, you got to do that Martha's Vineyard, yep. Massachusetts accent. So. Absolutely. Um, okay, so I went with an actress who is kind of known for playing uh, kind of wife and mother in certain shows. She was in Friday Night Lights. She was in the show Nashville. And I went with Connie Britton. Yeah, I like her as an actress. I think she fits really well into that type of role. 
Um, I mean, I really was a fan. Uh, I didn't see Nashville at all, but I really liked the show uh, Friday Night Lights. I thought it was a really strong TV show, um, and I highly recommend it for out there. It had a lot of like kind of I don't know. There were some soap, <laughs> soap drama, uh, soap opera <laughs> drama elements to it, but it was fun. It was a good show, well written, especially those earlier seasons. Um, but yeah, I like Connie Britton in it. She was good. Cool. Uh, all right, Hooper. This was the one that took me the longest okay. to cast because I wanted to find someone who was not too young, not too old. They kind of need to look like they're in their mid to late 20s. They're they're not that far out of college, but they've got to feel like mm-hmm. they have experience. I think that I picked a good uh, one because I was inspired by you, Adam, uh, because you used this guy either our last one or the one before. Uh, I went with Dev Patel. Oh, okay, okay. I can see, I can see that. I mean, he he comes across uh, as, you know, like he would go to grad school. <laughs> I don't know why he just right. has that kind of feel to him. Is it because he's is it because he's Indian, Adam? Is no, that what you're saying? I'm not saying all Indians <laughs> go to grad school. I'm just saying Dev no. Patel is a good actor, and he seems like he would do uh, he would do great. He's he he can be very well spoken. I mean, granted, we're talking about acting here, but he he can be very well spoken. He can present himself by somebody who's gone through uh, college and works for a big organization like the Oceanographic Institute. Mm-hmm. Um, and he and he to me, he's about the perfect age. He's still young enough to to believe like he's kind of you know only a few years out of college, mm-hmm. um, but not uh, not so young that it's unbelievable. Yeah. All right, who did you pick? All right, Maya Hooper. Um, I also went with. Uh, I kind of changed up ethnicities on this one. Um, I thought it felt made made some sense to get a little bit more diversity, at least into the to the role. This guy has done multiple horror or horror esque type of properties. He's not as young as Dev Patel. I think my guy is thirty nine, but he looks like he could probably still play sure, sure. Uh, at least early thirties, if not you know late twenties in a pinch. But he had done some good horror stuff in the film Nope, uh, but particularly in the series The Walking Dead, I went with Stephen Yoon as my Hooper. Okay, I like that. Yeah. I like Stephen Yoon. Yeah, he's good. I never actor. saw no. I actually haven't seen any of uh, Peel's horror stuff, mostly because I'm not a horror person. I've just I've no desire to go to the thing to be scared. Nope, Nope is okay. I thought Nope was okay. I liked. I haven't seen. Uh, was it Us? The middle one. Right. But I've seen uh, Get Out, and I really like to Get Out. Okay. So, no, I, I like Steven Yoon, so okay, that works for me. All right. I'll take it. All right. Quint. I'm excited to hear your Quint. All right. Yeah, this was uh, fairly tough, but I, and I looked around at some other people's castings, and I eventually saw this guy who had been cast on a few other lists, and I'm like, you know what? I can't get off of how much I think it would do great. I did honestly almost my... my one of my gut options was Jonathan Banks from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. He played uh-huh. Mike, the uh, kind of the, the hitman guy. He's just a little too old now for me. And I know Quentin is already a little old, but this guy was just even a little bit old. But he still could do it. I think he'd be a phenomenal call. But I went with another actor who I know you and I both love. And we both want to see, and we have seen him more recently in his actual human form, if you will, you know what I'll talk about, <laughs> but particularly in the MCU when he played Claw, I think he is a great actor, and I like seeing him, and I think he would do a wonderful Quint. I went with Andy Serkis. That is an interesting call, and I gotta tell you, I kinda like it. Yeah. I kinda like it. Yeah, his 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 Claw, God. And that's I, really the kind of the role that I thought kind of fit better. 
that's really the tragedy of the MCU is that they got rid of him. When yes, I, honestly, I would I would have watched a whole series. I love to. He should have been a, a Disney Plus series, exactly. Of it, absolutely, show the bad guy. I don't mind. Mm-hmm. Bad guy can be the hero. Doesn't bother me. Doesn't have to be an antihero. You can be the bad guy. Yeah, you know, or make make a whole series of like the Dora Milaje hunting him yep. and something like that. I totally would have been all for that. I like that call. That's unexpected, mm-hmm. but I like it. Okay. So I went with an actor I've never used before, but I've seen so many times. Um, and he's often playing the bad guy, so I feel like this would work. He is also Portuguese. And if you know anything about uh, Massachusetts, there's a huge Portuguese uh, contingent there. I guess I didn't know anything about Massachusetts. <laughs> no. Uh, actually, I, I know that because of Emerald, because Emerald has Portuguese oh. origins. He's from originally from Massachusetts, and I learned that they have a big contingent of, because Portuguese, the Portu- Portugal is on the coast, so they have a big fishing culture. Yeah. Massachusetts has a big fishing culture, okay. so it's like a natural fit. They're about, they're really close in latitude, so it really just seemed like a natural fit for them to go there. Um, this guy is, uh, he, again, he is actually a Portuguese. He was born in Lisbon. But he's uh, he's older now, uh, but he's got a great grizzled look, and he's got a great deep voice, and I think that would work well for Quint. And his name is Joaquim de Almeida. I guarantee you'll recognize him the second you see him. I definitely have seen this guy. He's, oh yeah, some particularly some of these other pictures. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he's in some of the fast stuff, Desperado. Uh, okay, yeah, I have 146 credits. The man is definitely all over. Some good, some good stuff. Okay, yeah, I absolutely do recognize this dude. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, I like that call. I like my call better, but I like that call. <laughs> Fine, I'll take it. Yeah, I'll take your pity. He was recently in uh, the Fast X movie. Yeah. I don't know if he was playing the bad guy. Okay. Uh, my whole family went to go see that yesterday, and I didn't, uh, mostly because I actually needed to edit the episode that was released today. Uh. Uh, also, I told my wife, I was like, I've not seen any of the Fast and Furious movies, and at this point, it's a point of pride, and so I refuse to go see it. I don't give any craps about Fast and Furious movies. I don't either. He kind of looks nowadays like a, like a Portuguese Jeffrey Rush. I'm going to give him that. I, that sounds like a compliment to me. Yeah, I mean, it's a damn good compliment. Jeffrey Rush yeah. is awesome. Jeffrey, Jeffrey, uh, yeah, Jeffrey Rush would also be a great. I could see him, yeah. On this, on that role. Sure. Or maybe even Jeffrey Wright. That might. Uh, Jeffrey Wright would be call. great as well. Fuck yeah, I like that call too. So. But I'm gonna stick with my guy. I'm yeah, gonna no, stick he's with good. Joaquin. Right. Joaquin de Almeida, or I'm Almeida. But Al, I think it's just Almeida, but I Almeida. don't know. You know, I'm saying it with an American accent, so yeah. Uh, all right, our our lead guy, Brody. Uh, Adam, who did you pick? Well, my Brody. I had a tough time. I actually picked out a couple different people, but then I landed on this one guy, and I was excited. I actually picked him. He was one of my earlier castings because I wanted to get my Brody right. Um, I thought some other great people, Sterling K. Brown would have been fantastic. I got some other guys. But then I came to this dude, and he would also be my director because he has also directed a horror movie where he starred in with his wife, who will be his wife again in this one. I went with John Krasinski, and you called it, uh, as my Brody, and I think he'd be perfect. Okay. I, I like that. Okay. I like my pick better, but... <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> No, I don't mind that. So I also had a tough time with Brody because Roy Schneider, he's got a particular way about himself. He's, you know, you kind of have to get that that 
that mannerism. He he's got to feel like he doesn't quite belong at the beginning because mm-hmm. he's not he's not an islander. Yeah, he's from the outside, so he's got to uh, feel that. And I've not watched his show, but I've seen a ton of clips of the show that this guy is in. Uh, we both know him better from another show um, and from various th- movies and projects that he's been on. But it was kind of this standard network TV show that he's on that kind of sold me that he could play this role. I went with Nathan Fillion. Okay, I was not. <laughs> that, that that shook me a bit. I was a little surprised. I mean, of course, we all think Firefly, but he's, yeah. you know, that's that was 20 years ago at this point. Yes. He's he's much older now. Um, I think Doctor Horrible. The first thing I think of when I think I, of I know I know you, I know you do. But interesting. I mean, yes, I, you know, it's hard for me to think of him acting without having any like comedic addition to it. Right. But I'm sure he can. But I mean, he's been doing he's been doing the show The Rookie. Yeah, for a long for time. like six or seven years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are the clips of him in the show where it's, I mean, it's not, I'm sure he has comedic moments, yeah. but it's, he's still very serious in it. Yeah. It's a cop show. Of course. Like a it's CBS cop show. cop show even at that, I think. Yeah. So I, I honestly think that I think now it puts him in the, in the right spot yeah. to play the role of Brody. Okay. I, I will allow it. I will, uh, I'd watch it. How about that? Okay. Sure. Uh, all right. That was our recasting of Jaws. Please join us next time as we are once again joined by Mandy Rogers to go over those other top 10 Disney songs. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com. And if you want to suggest a movie or TV show from your childhood or to be a guest on the podcast, go over to patreon.com backslash blastpastcast and pick a tier that works for you. To find us on social media, search for at blastpastcast. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time. comic books me too hi i'm john join me over at the comics underground podcast where i invite guests to discuss their favorite comic books graphic novels manga and more go to bfopnetwork.com for more info or find me on your favorite podcatcher i'll see you there